Hiya, this is Hannah Sherry Smith from the British Blacklist and today I'm joined by actor and award-winning playwright and screenwriter Ryan Calais Cameron. So good morning Ryan. Well good we morning. were talking already but how how are you doing? I'm good thanks for the intro man I like, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I'm, I'm good man it's, it's, uh, it's gonna be a good week. Are we allowed to hear more about why it's going to be? A good oh, by God's grace, man! It's going to be a good week because I demand it to be. <laughs> That's why I'm having power over this week. Yeah, man. After, after, because yeah, it's it's wild, isn't it? It's wild. It's a wild time, man. It's a wild time to be alive. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm working. Yeah, I'm doing some quite a few projects. So, uh, I'm in R and D this week, actually. It's which is weird. Yeah, I'm doing R and D. Everyone's doing it from their houses, so that's something I've never done before. That's um, so weird. So uh, yeah, I know it's, but we'll get it done, man. It's resilience, isn't it? It's, it's just going. Yeah. You know what? Regardless of what the world's gonna throw at us, we're not stopping. <laughs> we're gonna stop this grind. No, so no. Um, yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. On. <laughs> so you've had a very varied career so far. Like I mean, from what I can tell, you kind of started as an actor. But you've also set up your own award-winning creative movement, Nouveau Rich, and then you've got loads of awards for your writing. So, I mean, looking back at the beginning of your career now, do you like? Did you ever think you'd be where you are now? Was that where you were planning on heading, or not a chance? I think for me, I, I just wanted to act, and I wanted to go to um, LA. So that was the plan in 2014, was to go out to LA for a while. A lot of things were happening in my life, man. Like I, I found my, I found faith, um, and I found direction, and mm-hmm. I had to start asking bigger questions about that transition from um, being a young man into being a, a grown, a grown man, and um, and for me that was kind of like um, stability. Uh-huh. Um, I felt like in my in my younger years as an actor, I could have went, okay, cool, it's okay for me to job from from A to B and just you know kind of like do that. And if if I if I can't pay the rent, I could just go back to my mom's. Like it was always there kind of thing, innit? and then when I was planning for like my grown life and going, actually, I want some some type of stability. I want finances. Do you know what I mean I want a bit of bank? And then a lot of friends at that time as well were kind of going, I'm leaving the acting industry to kind of like, you know, get a proper job. Like I want serious things in my life. And I was kind of like, well, I know that there's people that do this in my industry and they have money forever, ever kind of money. So I was like, how, how are these guys doing this stuff? Do you know what I mean? And yeah, there was a lot of stuff happening around that time as well, man. The whole kind of diversity debate and discussion was massive, you know? And I just felt like just within myself, the kind of character I am, I was like, I can't join this chorus of, I don't want to say complaints, but it felt like it was a mass complaint, but what can I do? Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if I feel like I'm unsatisfied with anything in my life, then I go, okay, cool. I'm just going to do something different. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So that's when kind of Nouveau Rich came. It was it was a group of friends of going, we don't want to complain anymore. These men are making certain projects. Why can't we? Do you know what I mean? I don't see them as being better than us. If they can make pro- projects and have a whole entire industry for themselves, we could do something similar. Mm-hmm. And uh, we put our minds together. And that's the, that's, this is the short the short version of it but um yeah we kind of came together and we're like okay let's let's do something man no no one thought it was gonna blow or kind of like not saying that we have blown but just saying in terms of like awards or anything like that it wasn't wasn't the agenda it was just like imagine if we could create something where we could work forever ever and we yeah. wouldn't have to ask anybody for permission or fight nobody or tell them how to treat us we could just have our own thing and that was kind of like the ethos of it I was reading um, another interview that you were doing and Nouveau Reach just seems to be growing and growing. Mm-hmm. 
you say like Nouveau Riche was birthed out of a collective frustration with the industry's lack of diversity and you were talking a lot about how like longevity and everything like that but do you feel like you've been able to have more freedom over what you want to write as a result of having your own company 100 percent. i'm bringing the turkey to the christmas table man do you know what i mean like i'm a theater maker and i'm i'm, I'm making do you know what I mean? like you can't make theater without theater makers isn't it? And, and and what happened the only thing that that changed is us understanding our value yeah so when i come to a negotiation or a meeting now it's a case of going bomb if you don't want to pay us right, or if you guys don't want to treat us right, then we're going to take the turkey from Christmas. Do you know what I mean? Now what are you going to do? And, and given that, and given ourselves that kind of value and freedom allows us to kind of go away and go, if these guys don't want to make this with us, then we're going to make it regardless. Um, yeah. And that's crazy type of freedom. Just in, even in terms of my art, do you know what I mean? Just going, I'm writing something and I know that it's going to get on because I don't have to ask a producer. I don't have to negotiate. I don't have to do this whole, I'm gonna take you out and wine and dine you. In case I've got my team here. Guys, you wanna do this? Yeah, let's go. Do you know, do you know how crazy that is? Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. And it's something that we were always kind of conditioned to think that that can never ever be, innit? Like if you've got an idea, you have to kind of smooth these guys or assimilate to their kind of way of thinking in order to get ahead in life. And, I've, and we've just kind of come together and said, bun that. Do you know what I mean? Like we want something, we're going to go through it and we're going to make it happen. I think 2019 was a crazy year because at that back end of 18, I came to my team and I said, next year, guys, we're going on a massive tour. We're going to Edinburgh and we're going to have a massive show in London. And they said, yo, we're an independent company. How are we going to do that? Right. I said, we're going to do that, man. <laughs> and it happened. Do you know what I mean? It was our most successful year. It happened. It's like we're just a bunch of kids doing this, like with massive imaginations. Do you know what I mean? And again, a lot of the time where we can't think big is because we've been conditioned not to. You don't have mm. money, you're black, you're working class. How are you going to make something happen? Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, man. Everything you were saying, it does, like, firstly, that why as an artist should you necessarily have the skills where you know how to schmooze all the producers and everything? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also I think it, like, changes your attitude to your work, knowing that it's going to be put on. I don't know, it puts more, I mean, you, you can talk about it yourself, but, like, to, to know that these words actually mean something because people are going to actually have to see them. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having, a, and having an audience, a strong audience that you know you're writing for. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of um, mm. young writers, especially young writers of colour, we lose our flavour along the way because we go, essentially, if white people are not buying into this, then I don't have bank. And we've kind of gone, no, man. Majority of our, especially in the earlier days, majority of our audiences were first-time theatre-goers. So I'm going, cool, we've locked into an audience now of people that, that, that love the work that we do, they're coming back, do you know what I mean? We're selling out constantly, that's our audience. And if anybody else wants to come and join that, then come on. But I know, but we know who we're selling to. And that faith that people have had with us has allowed us to think bigger. To feel like you are, I guess, having a tangible impact on changing what theatre is, because it gets static and you're doing the same thing over and over again, but. Yeah, that's what's really important for us to try and change so it's a little bit easier for for the youngers that are coming up after us, man. Like even end of last week, we were told that um, a school in East London have now put Queens of Sheba on the curriculum. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So to think that, you know, youngsters are going to be reading our work, they're going to be studying it. They showed us what they're going to be studying alongside Brecht and you're going, come on, man. Like, do you know what I mean? Like this is this is what we wanted. Do you know what I mean? If I had had a book like Queens or, or any of these kind of really amazing plays that have come out over the last couple of years, if I was studying that in school, I would have been a star student because I would have been going, look, there, there, there's stories that come from the world that I come from. I'm excited about this. I want to go into school and study this stuff because it's relevant to me. You were talking about Edinburgh then. 
and I wanted to ask you a bit more about your experience at Edinburgh because you've been very successful at Edinburgh in terms of both Queens of Sheba and typical like it's very hard to get audiences to come to your yeah, shows yeah, yeah. Edinburgh, but they were like huge critical successes but I kind of wanted yeah. to ask you about your experience at Edinburgh how far you would like recommend that as a playwright a black playwright was that a route you would recommend into getting your work seen um yes I would I feel like Edinburgh is that place where if you are looking to advertise what you do the work you do and the quality of it and it's an incredible space to do that it's the center of theater universe do you know what I mean it's the biggest festival mm -hmm. in the world there's no other place that compares to that I think for me, the difficult part was getting to Edinburgh. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not a place that accommodates young artists from quite challenged backgrounds, quite uh, underprivileged backgrounds. Do you know what I mean? Just the way, the whole way it's set up is just, and we wouldn't have been able to go if we didn't win the untapped award. Do you know what I mean? So that gave us 3,000 pounds, which really in terms of Edinburgh isn't that much money, but it was enough to kind of get us started, to get us on a crowdfunder. And that was the most difficult part of Edinburgh. Both times around we had a really good show. So we were successful in that in that in that way. But I've seen it not happen like that. You know, you're up against four thousand shows every single day. It's a lottery, really, to be honest with you. And I would be lying if I came and I was like, yeah, Queen of Sheba or typical did so well because we had this strategy or whatever, like really and truly. No, like the right people came at the right time and they spoke about it. I was out there with people and they were literally almost selling their soul to get one person into their, their show. Do you know what I mean? It was so, so difficult. And I think when we brought both of our shows out there, they were very topical at that time. Mm -hmm. I remember um, when we brought Queens out there, it was the height of the Me Too movement. So people were like, yeah, we do want to see a show about women and about feminism. And then we're like, oh, but this is from a black woman's perspective. Okay, now this is a little different because we didn't have any marketing. We didn't, I couldn't afford it. Do you know I mean mm -hmm. any money that we had was literally just to get us there and to get us accommodation and put a roof over our head and that was it so we didn't have a single piece of marketing if you know Edinburgh then you know people spend grands grands and grands and grands on marketing so basically Queen sold out on um, word of mouth complete word of mouth people going have you heard about this show have you heard about this show have you heard about this show so that taught me a lot as well about you know going in there hitting the ground running and, and um, making sure that people were talking and what happened as well because it's such a topical show we had to encourage people to speak. Obviously, you're going to Edinburgh, you, you've got, what, 90% white audiences. They were like, okay, yeah, that hit. But we don't know if we're allowed to talk about this kind of stuff online. So we kind of actively went online and were like, guys, if you've seen the show, please feel free to talk about this. It's an open space. Because people don't know, they don't know, they don't want to offend people. And it was like, and then after that, everyone was like, oh my gosh, yeah, 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 this part, this part, da, 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 da. And that's what really brought the, brought the numbers in. And it was, um, it was crazy. It was crazy. I thought we were going to have the same thing with typical. Typical did really well but it took its time to kind of do that and I was kind of like you know okay yeah Edinburgh Edinburgh's this amazing place where you just saw every day and I went to typical and we were getting like ones and twos for the first week and I was like oh <laughs> okay it's not that in it like we're gonna have to work <laughs> I had a bit of both in my Edinburgh experience again we went with very small market in the second time and then I realized that okay cool you know we were very fortunate the first time we're gonna have to start get the checkbook out and uh, do a bit more but um, yeah, man, Edinburgh's, Edinburgh's good. But yeah, it's still got a long way to go in it, especially for diversity, a long, long way to go. Like everything you were saying about the audiences as well, like it's still very much <laughs> middle-class white, but also I've heard so many Scottish people talking about how like, it's just like London kind of comes up. 
to, to yeah. Scotland for a day. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's London for them, isn't it? You get like one, two black people, like, oh my gosh, oh, Jamaica. <laughs> well, I remember the Queen, girls from Queen Tashima, when they were out there, they were like local celebrities. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody went in pictures with them and stuff. Everybody would just stop them in the middle of the street. It was like, oh my gosh, four black women together at one time. Oh my gosh. Do you know what I mean? Like people didn't even know about the show. They were just, <laughs> they're such a commodity to them. Um, but yeah, nice. Nah, it's cool, man. <laughs> No, it's mad. I was up there once and um, a taxi driver, I had a black taxi driver was talking about how Edinburgh is actually quite a nice time for him in feeling that he mm. isn't the only black person in Edinburgh. But um, oh, I, can Bless him. I mean, you were talking a lot about typical and Queens of Sheba there. And I think, yes, you were lucky to some extent with your success at Edinburgh, but they are fantastic plays as well. And like you said, very topical and important in what they're exploring. Queens of Sheba is based on, you know, the the incident at District Nightclub. And then Typical is based off the true life event of Christopher Order being abused also outside a nightclub. Is this a coincidence or is there something that you were interested in, in terms of like nightclubs as this space that isn't... Oh, never, safe? This is the first time I've ever thought about it. You just mentioned oh, really? that, that until, you, until you just said that interesting actually that they both do have hot nightclubs at the heart of the story i never thought about that ever but again you know subconsciously maybe i was saying like one nightclubs in it for me music is a big part of my art and i think i was able to get a lot of the music influences in both of those pieces from the nightclub elements but i think that was literally yeah consciously the only thing i i, I thought about but it is interesting that you brought it up and how, like you know nightclubs are naturally a place for incident people coming from different walks of life into a space um what is that harbour there is the element that they are both based in these real life events that are kind of shocking that you think that this is a space that we've got past that like that's not going to be a problematic yeah. space anymore it's interesting as well isn't it that in both stories the characters just wanted a night out mm-hmm. what's interesting to me as a um, as a narrator uh, or as an artist is, is just like you know Black people aren't just going out of their house looking for trouble or looking for a riot or, or looking to loot or something. Like, we're literally going out and trying to do normal things that normal people do on any other normal day. And mm-hmm. and the story in that is the fact that those experiences cannot be normal for us. Mm-hmm. We have to go out and protect ourselves in so many various ways because we don't have that freedom or that privilege do you know what I mean? When we have that conversation about white privilege, you know, the fact that you can go out and just have fun and not have to think about all of these different ways of having to protect yourself because you may not come back alive. It's ridiculous, but that's the truth. And that's what I wanted to get across in my storytelling. The characters in my stories will probably be uncomfortable in the actual play. Do you know what I mean? Because all of the themes and stuff, they didn't necessarily represent that. They just wanted a night out. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand yeah. that Christopher Ola didn't leave his house because he was like, yeah, I want to be remembered as some activist or no, just wanted a night out. Do you know what I mean? The girls just wanted a night out. So um, it's interesting, isn't it? How I always think that like, you know, when you see these mothers of slaying black men, especially in America, and you see them do these eloquent speeches and, and talks and all these kind of things. And I was like, it's so interesting how you become this massive activist now, but that was never the path that you chose for yourself yesterday yeah. you're probably working you had a life and then this incident comes and all of a sudden now the world looks to you to speak to be this eloquent talker on these issues and stuff and it was like come on man and I think that idea of being made to speak as a 
black artist is quite interesting as well in this expectation about what you should be saying with your art and kind of I've seen you talk about this yourself about kind of the way in which after the events of last summer all these theatres commissioning black creatives without payment to talk about racism but just speaking on that I think it was a case of people not really understanding the underlying issues of what we're talking about in terms of racism. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the majority of people think, oh, I'm not racist because I don't say the N-word. But getting Black creatives on any level to come in and have a discussion about race and racism and you thinking it's okay not to pay them is racist. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because you're paying, you know how to pay everybody else to come and does your talks. Do you know what I mean? The amount of times I, I was asked to speak on something and then being, being told, oh, yeah, we just didn't have budget for Black History Month, but would you like to do something because people love to hear your voice? And it's just like, no, the fact that you didn't have, like Black History Month didn't start last year. No. And people were talking about, oh yeah, we just didn't plan because it came about so quickly. No, we have it the same, it's the same time every single year. Every year. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Do you mean the fact that there's no budget for that? Do you know what I mean? That's racist. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So no, I'm not going to be part of this. It's nonsense. Do you know what I mean? Like I said, in another interview, I was talking about uh, Black Lives Summer this crazy period of time where everybody was just like oh my gosh oh we gotta do something oh let's throw some money at the black guys oh my gosh and then after everybody's like oh phew we got through that it's winter time now let's just go back to what we know innit? and i was just like and, and this is the conversation i was having with my friends at the time i was like yo you guys get get yours now innit? anything that's promised to you in the winter time it's not happening whatever you want now go get it man these men are going crazy with their money like they're going crazy with their minds with their access with their keys just get it <laughs> because it ain't gonna last forever and that's exactly it we've gone backwards now I think anyway but um <laughs> that's just my opinion yeah but also I mean that report that came out I think last week about how representation in the tv industry has gone yeah, down I even read it it's worth looking at yeah. but I mean yeah, also yeah. not surprising because but it's not surprising though when you know the history of these things and you know that every single year or two years or every single generation they give us something mm-hmm and then the masses go, oh, guys, look, this is progressive. Things are going to change. Amazing. And then a couple of years after that, nothing, 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 nothing again. And for me, it was a case, again, starting with Nouveau Riche, it was a case of going, I'm not invested in these people at all, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm tired. I'm not a yo-yo. You can't play me like that. I can't, in one breath, go, yeah, the system's rigged, systemic racism. And then in another breath, go, why aren't they giving me what I need? Mm-hmm. I just answered that in, in the first sentence. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's rigged. They don't care about me. So I, again, it was a case of going, okay, well, how can we do things on our own terms? Who do I want to invest in? I want to invest in companies, you know, like your Talawas, like your Eclipse, like your Uproots, people that I know that season in, season out are going to continue to create the kind of work that we want and that we need because I can't trust anybody else right now. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Bringing it back to Nivarish because, you know, at least Nivarish is making progress and so both Queens of Sheba and Typical were produced through Nuva Riche and I wanted to ask you a bit about uh, the difference between co-writing Queens of Sheba and writing Typical alone like do you have a yeah. preference or and what are the differences? No I don't I don't I think usually I'll, I would prefer to write on my own because I have loads of ideas and I know how I want to get it across but Queens mm-hmm. of Sheba was something that I there's no way I could have ever written Queen of Sheba without uh, Jessica Hagen. Absolutely no way. No way. 
if you're going to collaborate with somebody, it's about doing it for the right reasons. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's about going, I can bring this and I know that I can't do this, but I know you can do this. And that's a successful collaboration for me. And it was about me looking at Queens and having a clear idea of where the story would go and the structure and, and a lot of those kind of core elements, but then going, how can I tell an authentic story about black women and their experiences if I'm not a black woman? And me going, if I write that, because I can write that, I can write that, but knowing in myself, it would never ever be as good as it could be. That's not satisfying for me. So I was blessed to be able to literally stumble across Jessica's work and go, and it was mostly her passion because she hadn't, she didn't have a portfolio of writing or anything. Do you know what I mean? This was the first thing she had written. It was the passion that she had. And I was like, if I can attach myself to that passion, then I know this is going to be good. How can this not be good? Because this person identifies with the, the core elements of this piece in a way that I cannot. I didn't understand the impact of Queen Sheba until after press night. And there was a group of black women that were waiting outside for the cast and the creative team. And they waited a good like half hour. And then when they came out, they ran at them. And there was this massive embrace. Nobody knew anybody, but I don't, it, was, it was so spiritual. It was just kind of like, we know each other. We've been there through this. And what you did today was you inspired me. And they just hugged for about mm -hmm. five minutes in the middle. And everyone was just bawling. Oh my God, oh my gosh. And it was just beautiful. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, I get it. And I only ever want to make art that can do that. That can actually have that feeling, man, that people can go, thank you. This is our story. It's ours. It, it belongs to us. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? And that's one of the things as well with Typical, man. Like um, there was a lot of offers that came for Typical where people wanted to produce it and they wanted to create it and, and do it. And I was like, no, it has to be a co-pro. Do you know what I mean? Because I have to be able to ensure that we get that feeling. And that's a feeling that you man might not know about or ever seen in your life. But I need to be able to ensure that my people get that feeling. I find a lot of what you're saying quite challenging to like the ways that we think that art should be made in terms mm. of being prepared to see the limits of what you can say and see the strengths that someone else can bring to the table and all of that. I really like that as a way of making art. How is working with Nouveau Riche and being mm. able to have this kind of creative control over the projects? How is that compared to working in the TV industry? So from after Queens, I was getting quite a lot of approaches for TV and I was kind of like, nah you know I spoke with my agent and I was like I, I just don't want to do that right now because I don't want to feel oppressed in any way do you know what I mean like I, I'm, I'm actually I love this freedom that I have at my own company at the moment and then obviously Covid happened I bet it weren't being made in it so I was like yo man needs to eat I had to eat real food man <laughs> so I was like I called my agent I was like what do you TV guys say let's uh <laughs> let's start some conversations but again <laughs> what having Nouveau Riche and putting those kind of projects out there kind of did for me in terms of my own confidence do you know what I mean so I wasn't coming into the industry going I have to take what these guys say because there's no other outlet for me do you know what I mean? If I don't do this project, then I'm just not going to do anything ever again. And so I was able to come into these meetings and I was 100% honest with people. I wasn't trying to go, okay, I'm trying to create projects that fit in with your ethos or anything. I was like, this is what I'm about. This is what Ryan Calais Cameron does. Do you think we can work on it? And, and some people were like, oh yeah. And I knew from, I knew they were like, nah, 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 you just got to think he is, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, nah, nah. And then there were other people. I remember having one conversation with um, a production company and they were like, have you seen any of our stuff? Do you watch any of our shows? And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I don't because I just don't think like there's people like me in any of your stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think like the rep representation's there. And I wasn't trying to be cheeky or anything. I was just being honest. Yeah. And there was this weird silence in the room. And everyone was like, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we brought you in. And yeah. I'm actually working with them now. Do you know what I mean? 
And sometimes that works. And sometimes people are just like, oh, who, who do you think he is, man? Like, nah, nah, nah. I'm grown, man. Like, I, I want to be able to work in environments where I feel comfortable because I'm a creative. I have to have that access to my imagination and not be looking over my shoulder being like, oh, these men are going to ax all my ideas. These men are going to this and that. So for me, before we talk about any contracts or anything, it's just a series of conversations and making sure that we are on the right page and that you're going to guide me. It's not a case of you not being able to tell me anything. It's a case of you getting the vision and being able to guide me so I know that if you're saying something um, that's critical that I know that's coming from the right place as opposed to oh, we're just trying to erase this guy's ideas or his ideas on race or on anything do you know what I mean so um, that's important for me and I went into every meeting going if we don't get a deal let me know, just don't get a deal you know I mean? I'll just go back to doing what I, I, I know I can do and I feel like that's really worked for me man and I feel like people have appreciated that they like kind of somebody that's coming in do you know what I mean that's gonna rattle them a little bit and go all right no I think that's a really valuable thing to know that like you're an asset to the company isn't it so like to know your value and what you bring to the table as opposed to just coming in and being like I I just gotta take whatever do you know what I mean because we're conditioned to think like that isn't it to think how can someone offer me a deal and me say no to it that's crazy but to go no man you have value man you can't make art without the ideas people and what are the ideas people you know when you talk like that sometimes people are like oh this guy's arrogant man it's like nah if you know the guy then you know that it's, it's a confidence being an actor yourself I know typical is a one-man play was there ever a time when you were writing it where you could see yourself playing the role you know you- a lot of people ask me that you know <laughs> <laughs> um no the only time I ever thought I could possibly do it was when we were auditioning and we couldn't find the actor and we were running out of time and then people can ask me, right, if, if it comes to it, you think you can step in? I was like, oh, man. Like, you know, I'm proper thinking now. I'm like, oh, trying to get into character. I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't know, guys. I might be able to. <laughs> but other than that, when I was writing it, I was like, nah. I knew what I kind of wanted in an actor. And I knew that I needed somebody that was at least like 10 years older than me, that I had more kind of life experience, that had been around more. Do you mean that had more gravitas to them? And I, I thank God that I was able to see that because I feel like sometimes when you go, oh, I could produce, I can write, I can act. Why don't I do all three at once? So look at me, Ryan Calacamon show. And, and, and like, it was a case of going, I actually just want to make a piece of art. And if I want to make that kind of similar to what I was saying about collaborating with Jess, I, I need to get the best people to do the best job. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, if I can get somebody, the question I had to myself was, am I the best person to do that? No then why am I going to do it for? Do you know what I mean? I can get someone that can do this better than me. Um, same with the directing. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I could direct this because I know the vision I want it in, but I also believe that there's somebody that can do this better than me right now and I want to make a really dope piece of art. And I think it's quite special to see what other people bring to, yes. to the idea because there, there's always your idea of it and then yeah. what it can evolve into and everyone else yeah. comes into it. Yeah, and it becomes theirs. I didn't just hire people and just go, okay, I need you to do A, B, and C. It was a case that I brought everybody on quite early in the process so that the idea became a shared idea. So mm. something that I loved in the process was me being able to say something, Anastasia go, mm, Ryan, I just don't think it would happen like that. Whereas I could go, what do you mean? This is my idea you're talking about. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's no, she's that invested in it that she can actually see and go, mm, Ryan, I don't think, and then actually tell me something and me go, okay, I never saw it like that. So it's a shared idea now. And then Richard gets involved and he's and he's so invested in his character, he can start suggesting things that the character would or would not do, yeah, which again yeah. would change the text. So then that's what I, that's, that, that's what I love about collaborating with someone. Yeah, that's what I mean. Do you know what I mean? When people are passionate, man, and they yeah. help drive the project. 
I mean, is there anything in particular that Richard Blackwood brings to the performance that like you might not have imagined in your head when you wrote the words? Yeah, his ownership and his commitment to it. You can't get that level, uh, like you said before, it's critically acclaimed piece and his level of giving himself to that, you know, very similar to what the women did in Queens of Sheba. You, you leave a piece of yourself on stage with this performance every single night. And it's something that I, especially being an actor, I can't ask that of you because I know what that means. Do you know what I mean? Like I know how much, I, I know the sacrifice. I can't ask that from you, but it's something that if you are so determined and passionate about this piece, you give it. And you have to. And, and something I was talking about, we were talking about recently, was um, the fact that that character, oh, I don't want to give away no spoilers. People know how, do people know how it ends? Is it kind of obvious how it ends? Or should I just? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm going to leave that. Well, but just, <laughs> just basically saying how, you know, whatever happens to a character in anything, your mind goes through that in real time every single day. It doesn't know that it's just a play. Do you know what I mean? So that's what I'm talking about in that level of sacrifice. And um, something that Richard brought to this that, I couldn't find in anybody else was the shades of light and dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, I found a lot of um, really, really talented black actors that could do the dark pieces of the piece because that's all we're given. Trauma, trauma, trauma. Like you know, we're sick of doing those stuff. That's all we get. But mm-hmm. the my thing was about it was a story. It's a story about the life of a man, the mm-hmm. comedy, who you are when no one's around, who you are when anyone's around, and you're entertaining. How can you just be a dad? without having to be a black dad. Do you know what I mean? And those kind of nuances that we don't get in black male protagonists was the heart of the story. That's the actual heart of the story. And that's what Richard, especially from his um, stand-up background, could bring in abundance, comedy and the lightness to it. You know, I think a lot lot of people think it's a dark piece. I think for about 85% of it, it's literally a comedy. It's literally a man bringing us through what it is to be a, a man that happens to also be black. So yeah, that's what Richard brings, man. It's a different side to him. And I'm glad. After you booked it, I said to him, look, bro, like, it's one of them ones where people are either coming to see you do something that you've never done in your whole entire life and smash it, or people are coming to have a laugh at Richard Blackwood who thought he could do something that he'd never done before. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And he was like, yeah, 100%. And he was on it. From that moment on, he was on it. Yeah. Such a good professional to work with. If you can summarise, what do you hope is, like, the key thing that audiences will take away from watching Typical? Obviously, because we had it on before, and I think one of the successes from it was the conversations that came around it. If typical was a lecture, with the themes that it's based on, if it was a lecture, people would, be, would switch off and go, oh, okay, I don't like being spoken at. Do you know what I mean? But what typical does for an hour and a bit is that it brings you into a world. This whole entire night that this character goes on, you are his friend. You are with him. You are with him when he wakes up in the morning, you are with him at the end of the night. So you get to see a whole entire world from a different perspective. Do you know what I mean? They can't be like, oh yeah, but maybe he, or maybe, no, you were with him, you know him, he's your mate. Do you understand? So you start to understand things in a completely different way. And this is the space where I would love discourse or further detail to come from. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's so much kind of like toxic debates that are happening of late that are just like, no one's listening to anybody. There's no space where people are actually coming together and going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen a Twitter debate where somebody said one thing and somebody said another thing and at the end of it, they were like, oh no, you know what, bro? We're right, you know? It's just people going at each other, isn't it? And I'm like, okay, whatever your opinions are of what's happening around the world, especially to do with black people dying in police custody, dying unlawfully. I don't know if there is such a thing of the lawful killing, but anyway, this is a place where put that all aside, Come and watch this and afterwards, let's have a conversation.
you know I mean? Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, you know, you would have a different perspective. What you do with that is up to you. I feel like I want to do something like that with a lot of my work, maybe all of it, but be able to hold mm-hmm. hold conversations and reflect on the world. Yeah, I think conversation is hugely important and to not end the conversations because yeah. you know, the problem we're facing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the most exciting. I think what we're trying to do as well is have like, you know, uh, live conversations on Twitter and Instagram and stuff. But um, one of the things I miss about theatre is the space at the end of it where people don't want to go home. You can't just go home. Like you have to, you have to talk to somebody, anybody, you know? like, even if you don't know them, you have to discuss some of the things that are happening in this right now because um, it's that urgent. Is there any other projects on the horizon that you wanna, you wanna tell us about? Ooh, yeah, man. We've got <laughs> stuff coming out, man. Um, we're doing R and D on um quite a few stuff at Nouveau Riche. We are doing R and D on a play that won the. We did a Mad Times monologue competition last year where mm-hmm. nobody knew what was happening in the world and we were like okay let's just give um, young black artists some, something to do and then mm-hmm. there'll be a little bit of prize and they can come and work with us so we had a guy called Khaled Jonel that won that with his piece called um, No More Mr Nice Guy which mm-hmm. is dope so we are r and in that at the moment and we can't wait to get that going when that comes out yeah Woo! mate and then we've got another piece that I've penned called um, For Black Boys who have considered suicide when the hue was too heavy. It's a piece that's incredibly inspired by For Coloured Girls. And I always went, and when I read For Coloured Girls as a youngster, I was like, man, like, I wonder what that would be like from the perspective of a young black boy growing up in the UK. And yeah, everything over the last 10 years has kind of triggered to create in a space where black boys can speak openly about their experiences in life, their joys, what they are scared about, and ultimately mental health. Do you know what I mean? It's a play about uh, young black joy, man, and openness and beautifulness. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a, all right, listen, man, I don't want to say too much, you know, I don't want to guess the thing, but when that drops, yeah, listen, you better book me in now, innit? Because after that drop, just the, just the form that we're using to tell this story, like, I feel like that, if, if that was going to be my last play, I'll leave it, I'll leave it as that. Like, I feel like it's beautiful. But I don't want to say too much. I don't want to guess the thing, innit? I don't want to say too much. So when when do you think we'll be able to watch that? Hey, talk to Corona, innit? Uh, we went to put it out last November. So um, we're going to try again. We're going to try again this year. I don't want to say too much yet, but hopefully this year, man, because I feel like now, especially in the middle of the um, pandemic as well, and just being able to see, because obviously from doing my studying on this this project, I can see certain things in young black men that I wouldn't wasn't able to see before. So mm-hmm. I'm not getting like loads of black men that I know running at me going, Ryan, I need help, or I'm going through this, or I'm going through that, mostly because they don't, they're not unable to identify these things in themselves. But it's like, I can see certain um, attributes or characteristics that I go, oh my gosh, I was just reading or something like that yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I should just reach out to this brother and just ask him if he just wants to talk. It's yeah. not something that we have in our community that's open and yeah, there's no space to be vulnerable. And I want that to come out of this, this production, man. Amazing. I cannot wait. And fingers crossed that we actually do get to see it. Yeah. To finish, I've got like five quick fire questions just okay. getting to know you. So firstly, um, what book do you have to have in your collection? Book or play? Uh, yeah, let's say play as well. <laughs> I don't want to be quick fire, innit? Um, I, at the moment, what have I been reading? Um, uh, Misty. Okay, amazing. A song or album that defines the soundtrack of your life? I'm going to say Lauren Hill, Miseducation. Yes. Okay, 
um then a film or a tv show that you can watch or have watched repeatedly fresh prince you get you can you don't get that doesn't get old it's a masterpiece yeah um the first stage production you saw and what it meant to you i think it was shakespeare um what was it i think midsummer or something i was like this is nonsense bro (laughs) it didn't inspire me actually it actually didn't inspire me what inspired me to create was again another Rinze play. It was um, Little Baby Jesus. I saw Little Baby Jesus, right? And I was like, what? I was like, you're telling me we're allowed to write plays like that? Like, yeah. do you mean from people from ends? I was like, no way. And then De- Debbie Tucker Green, seeing her work was, was what made me go, I think I can, I'm allowed to do this, you know? It's interesting, yeah. Okay, and then finally, what has made you sad, mad and glad this week? What made me sad? Uh, what made me sad? running out of time to do my taxes and going, oh my God, I've got to do that all in one day. Made me a little bit sad. What made me mad? Do you know, it's really hard to get mad anymore, you know, because everything's mad. What made me mad? Maybe something that I probably saw on the news and I was just like, oh my gosh, if the world's ending, man, it's just end, man. Cause like every single day there's something else. I mm-hmm. think that, or one of my one of my children getting cheeky, that often makes me mad. So like, who are you talking to, bro? <laughs> it's mad, you're like one foot high. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? It's weird. Like, if I was chatting to someone that was 24, like, taller than me, like, 20 times bigger than me, I would have some, a level of respect. Yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm going off. Yeah, that made me mad. And then what's the last one? Glad. <laughs> Glad. Yep. This week, man, coming on coming on here, getting to chat to you, getting oh, to talk about oh. my project, chatting about myself for an hour, them things make me <laughs> glad. <laughs> Thank you very much. Man. Nice, appreciate that.